All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo and I'm alongside Tony O'Donoghue, RT Soccer Correspondent. We're also joined by former defender Graham Gartland and we're going to be chatting about the weekend's uh, SSE Electricity League action in the Premier Division, First Division and Women's National League and also matters across the water. So lads, welcome along. Hope everyone's keeping well on what has turned out to be quite a sunny and <laughs> nice morning. How are you doing? I'm Raf. Good stuff. Uh, before we get stuck into the uh, today's agenda, I think it's probably worth mentioning Stephen Ward, who obviously had retired from international duty three years ago, but uh, now has brought the curtain down on his club career as well. He was at Walsall, who he's just helped to stay in League Two, but uh, 50 caps for Ireland, two major tournaments. And Tony, I know he's someone you would have come across a fair bit when you were doing press conferences and, you know, traveling over to the different European championships and a great character within the game. Yeah, super player and uh, very consistent. Um, he came out of the League of Ireland, of course, as well. Um, and yet to get to two tournaments, I mean, you know, Irish teams don't get to tournaments very often. So to have that on your CV when you retire isn't bad at all. Um I noticed that over the weekend he'll probably be remembered as well for a WhatsApp conversation where he spilled the beans on that um, uh, falling out between Harry Arthur, uh, John Walters and Roy Keane. Uh, so he has been involved in, in a, a little bit of controversy and scandal as well. Um, no, but a terrific player. And uh, yeah, he's had a very good career. I think he should be very happy with himself. He's also a very good communicator. Um, so I think he's just dipped his toe into the, the media waters. I can see uh, him having, like a lot of Irish players, isn't that right, Garts? Uh, the gift <laughs> of the gap and the ability to read a game and then talk about it correctly. And, and Graham, you know, as uh, as Tony said there, you know, he started out with Bohemians, but let's not forget, like he was a striker or a forward anyway when he came through first. And then what he's become known as for the majority of his career is to play as a left back uh, for club and country. And as we said, 50 Ireland caps, you know, you can't turn your nose up at that. And to do that in a position which wasn't the one you started out in, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, he's done really well. I remember him coming through up, I was, he started off left wing uh, for a little while as well. And then I think when Glenn Crow left, he moved up to be the main striker. Um, and he done really well there. I, I think he, he went and... I think he went on trial the Wolves then scored four in a friendly and then Mick McCarthy was the one that decided to take him. Um, yeah, he done really well because he came into the league late. He didn't, it wasn't one of those lads that went away to the UK and then came back. I think he had walked his way up through, I think it might be in Port Marnock as well, which is out where he's from, and then came through. Um, yeah, so having played against him, I knew what his strengths were and he was. He was, he was quick and straight lines. He had a... He, 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 no one was ever going to run him and he had a really good left foot so obviously he's ideal to go and play left back at some stage which is what you try and do um, in 2008 I think it was I played in a game room he played left midfield I think he played up front in the game actually it was for Ireland B squad over in Scotland and um, a lot of the lads who went on to have great careers uh, that was the first ever senior cap for Ireland I think I uh, think Stephen Ward, Glenn Whelan, Wes Houlihan all played in that game. And um, I remember talking to Amara and he was just about to kick off then. So that, that's where I think some of them games with the B, the B internationals are great for, for giving the lads a taste of playing for the country. And then you see what happens when they come through. Yeah, most yeah, definitely. And unfortunately, they're not a, it's not a, it doesn't seem to be a thing anymore, the B internationals. And uh, 
Uh, as you said, though, of course, he's an example of a player who's come through the League of Ireland and we had a very busy weekend of action and including his former club, Bohemians, in the derby against Shamrock Rovers. So before we uh, get stuck into that, let's just bring through the results. So St. Pat's 2, Finn Harps nil. That was on Friday night. And then Dundalk beat Shelburne 2-1. Quite a tempestuous game, that one. And then the derby, Bohemians 1, Shamrock Rovers 3. And then the last game on the Friday also, Derry City 7, UCD 1. So Derry City bouncing back and stuff. And then on Saturday, Sligo Rovers 3, Drada United 2, a last-minute goal in that one, deciding in Sligo's favour. But let's start with the derby. Uh, Tony, you were speaking to Keith Long afterwards, obviously his both side going down 3-1, and he was quite open and honest. So let's listen to him first, and then we'll talk about him at the back, off the back of it. Listen, we have to do our jobs as set plays. Shamrock Rovers are, are big, strong, and, and their set-piece delivery is, is really good. They score goals as set plays. We've... We obviously highlighted that during the week, and we we know what their threats are, but we just didn't manage them. We, you know, uh, Andy Lyons gets the first goal, um, and Andy got a goal up in Finn Harps um, from from a corner. But if it wasn't Andy Lyons, it was it was it was it was Lee Grace, it was Roberto Lopez, it was Sean Hoare. It would have been somebody to head it home. So we just didn't do our jobs at set playtime. Yes, there was a little bit in terms of a, a height advantage to Rovers versus us. Um, but still, that's not an excuse. You know, we got to defend those moments better. Um, and I, we just didn't deal with the game. Rovers came out of the traps really strongly. First 15, 20 minutes, they, they, were, they were sharper. They looked hungrier. They looked like they, they, they showed more desire. And they got ahead in the game from a set play, from an own goal when we didn't defend the back post well enough. And, you know, we got punished. And we were punished badly tonight. And the occasion wasn't... A factor hasn't become. Fire. I don't think so, Tony. It shouldn't really because we've got, um, you know, even though we've got a young squad, there's a lot of experienced players in there. They played a lot, um, you know, some of those players. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't use that. I'm not, uh, not offering that up as an excuse in any way, shape, or form. We were just second best, and we were beaten by a better team. Let's be, let's be honest. You know, we got to take our medicine tonight. It's, it's not nice there. It's disappointing for us, but you know, we carry too many players tonight in order to try and. Yeah, you know, we didn't we didn't really test Shamrock Rovers enough, and um, you know. it would appear the gap is getting wider, which obviously isn't going to please your fans. What what can you do about that? Yeah, yeah, um, no, for sure, it's um, it's something that we, we listen. We, we'll, we'll try and address. We we'll try and bring some players in if we can. And recruitment is is going to be very very key in in the summer, um, like it will be for a lot of teams, Tony. So. Um, yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a gulf in class tonight between the two sides for sure. Um, yeah, you know, but we have to, we have to try and worry and work with this group. Worry about our own performances and not worry about what other teams do, what other clubs do. We have to try and get our own house in order and try and, you know, get quality players in if we can, possibly can to try and strengthen the group and work with the team that we've got to, to improve the group. Okay, so that is Bohemians manager Keith Long speaking to you, Tony, after the three-one uh, defeat to Shamrock Rovers. There's quite a lot in that. Um, as I said before we played it, that he was quite open and honest and maybe in a kind of surprising way. Um, like in terms of his demeanour, Tony, when you were speaking to him, were you kind of surprised that he was so open about uh, just the, the issues they're having? Well, I, I know that Bohemians fans won't be too pleased to hear his accepting what he called a gulf in class, which is, you know, I mean, these are the, the deadliest rivals, if you like. Um, that rivalry is something that we've all traded on because it's, um, you know, it's been a sold out game. It's become an occasion. Um, and we'll talk about that in a moment, I'm sure, because uh, I think that occasion did perhaps uh, get to some of his players. But the fact that he's accepting or admitting the golfing class, that won't that won't please Bose fans. 
They'll be very upset to hear that. And it's kind of like what you're hearing in England at the moment. You know, the Man Cities and the Liverpools appear to be an opposing manager saying, well, what, what else can we do against them? They appear to be miles ahead. And that may not be the case in the League of Ireland. Shamrock Rovers, although they're playing very well at the moment and seem to be hitting their stride. Um, but this this league isn't isn't anywhere near over and the Rovers aren't even on top of it at the moment. Um, so for Bohemians to be accepting their position um, in, as I say, the, the, the keenest of rivalries um, is surprising. So it was an honesty from Keith Long and maybe, you know, a realisation that, you know, his squad certainly isn't anywhere near as deep as Rovers. Once again, Rovers are making their customary four changes to the starting lineup in, in each game, it seems now, and they can bring in players who are expecting to play uh, and they can change the game. And uh, they didn't have to do that necessarily against Bohemians. At halftime, Keith Long made three changes. Rory Feely, uh, Sam Packham and Promise, Promise on the chair, came on. Um, within a minute or less, uh, Rory Feely got injured, one of the substitutes, which is desperately unfortunate. Um, but, you know, he he was forced into a, a further reshuffle and he hasn't got the resources of Rovers and not many people do. Um, but I do, did feel a sense that he was, you know, accepting of his fate. He's going to have to um, he's going to have to go into the market and try and, um, you know, get, get, improve his his uh, his resources, deep, deepen his uh, his bench. And, uh, and try and compete. Because remember last year how well they were doing uh, in Europe. I mean, those were the games that really, I think, uh, captured the imagination of the, the rest of the league and the country. Uh, and Bose fans want to be up there uh, competing with Rovers. And it wasn't that long ago when they were. They had the, the hoodoo over Rovers for a while, but Rovers have certainly consigned that to the, the history books for the moment. And, and they do seem to be a long way ahead. Yeah, in terms of that recruitment, which Keith Long was discussing in the second half of that clip, Graham, and from your reading of the game um, against Shamrock Rovers, what areas do they urgently need to strengthen most? I think they need centre-back. Um, I know they've been struggling at centre-back. I know they've been playing Patterson in midfield. Uh, is a, What's the Livingston in midfield? Sorry, they've been playing Livingston in midfield. I had given them a little bit more of a solid look to their team and the, and then results have improved when he's been in the side because they've a lot of firepower either side of them were bored, cooped and when Promise plays up front. But I think Promise is the one that needs to play. Um, every time he plays, Bowes seem to, to, to do well. Um, but they do, they need, they need more quality throughout the squad so that when Tony's touching on it, when they do make changes, that they're not dipping. Um, and that's where they're at at the moment. But again, They've lost a lot of players, and I know that's not an excuse, but they've lost a lot of players. But Keith's also been the one that's brought these players in. So whatever about them losing them, he can. that's not his fault, but obviously he's the ones that brought them in. The worrying bit for me was when he wasn't just that he said the goal from class. He said that Rovers started the game a bit more intent and a little bit more of an attitude in doing the, the other side of the game. They were a little bit hungrier then for the first half an hour. And if you're not going to, if you're not able to compete with a team in terms of ability-wise, you have to be able to compete in terms of attitude. And there's two things an opposition team can't stop you doing, and that's running and talking. And if Bowes are going to... Where Bowes done well in this fixture last year was the match rovers in terms of their attitude and their, and their application towards the game. And I didn't think they'd done that in the first half. They'd done it for 15 minutes in the second half. They got back to 2-1, and then they switch off again and, and concede, and then the game's over. Yeah, and Tony, before we talk about the Shamrock Rovers side of the coin, um, the occasion was something you touched on there. And 
what effect that can have on both sets of players, but um, also within the crowd itself and sometimes where that boils over. Like, can you just kind of describe uh, the night for us? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we love that atmosphere because, you know, it, it's a selling point of the game. But um, there were 800, 850 Shamrock Rovers fans uh, at the school end of the, of the ground. And the game, the kickoff of the game was delayed by uh, almost eight minutes uh, because as soon as the teams came out, the flares came on the pitch. They came into the, the, the goal mount. Uh, you know, they, the, the flares can be dangerous. We know that. Uh, but they also can add a, an element of excitement to a game. And we can't be hypocrites here. Um, you know, TV companies have used them in promos to, to show this is an amazing game. People come from other countries over to see this unique Dublin derby and they, they, they show that element of it. Um, so I don't want to be a hypocrite and, and, and say, you know, we have to, you know, stamp this out of the game. I mean, you know, it's terrible that the, the toing and froing between the, the two sides. It's a, we, we love a rivalry. Let's not forget that. But um, can we have a situation where flares can be used safely, where they can be allowed? Some other leagues across Europe do that. Uh, or if not, can we make sure then that they, they're not allowed in? Because, you know, when you do go to a Bowles Rovers game, you, you notice it more than in any other fixture. You know, the, um, the amount of guardy, the, the horses, the, um, the emergency response unit or, or whatever the, the equivalent is. Um, it's, it's an awful lot of resources for for you know, two clubs across one city. Um, and, you know, why can't they just get along? <laughs> now, we do, we do enjoy the rivalry, as I say, but I feel that that delay uh, had a bearing on, on the early part of the game. I think Bowes went into it. Uh, some of the early tackles were very, very, um, uh, well, you know, right on the, on the edge of the, of the line. And it's very early in a game. And you know when you make tackles like that early, the chances of you getting uh, a card very early or getting sent off in, in the early moments are slim enough. So the start of that game was a 1,000 miles an hour. Um, but I think Shamrock Rovers uh, played the occasion better than Bohemians. And I think even though Keith did say that he's got plenty of experience in that team, uh, I think there's more experience in the Rovers team. And I think they managed the game well. And you can't talk about uh, this game without talking about Jack Byrne because once again, he was outrageous. He was just so good in that thousand mile an hour uh, hectic game where the tackles were flying in. He was just an oasis of calm in, in the storm around him. Um, there, I, I just took note of one particular time uh, where he flicked the ball past Ali Coote. Uh, when you know Coot was coming in at at, at pace, uh, always finding space, always appearing to be calm, picking a pass. And when Keith Long talks about their set piece delivery, and he talks about Hora Lopez and Grace being threats, they're threats as well because the ball coming into them from corners or from free kicks is so good. The trajectory, the pace on the ball. Um, so from set pieces, uh, from open play. He is just, he has really found his form again. I'd be interested to see what, what Garth thinks about that. Uh, Stephen Kenny was there the other night. He didn't include Jack in the, the, the last series of games. Surely he has to include him for the, the Nations League games coming up. Yeah, actually, we've got a clip of Stephen Bradley. You were speaking to him afterwards, uh, the Shamrock Rovers manager, about both Andy Lyons and how he dealt with the occasion and also Jack Burns. So we might just listen to that and then we'll talk about Jack Byrne and the possibilities with June coming up as well and the great form he's in. So let's listen to that first. Yeah, Andy, when you know Andy and his character and his temperament, it doesn't phase him. Uh, occasions like this, games like this, he actually tries on it. 
Um, and when, like I said, when you get to know him, uh, that's one of his big uh, strengths. That he's, he's he's so level, he's so calm. And I knew tonight wouldn't wouldn't bother him at all. I knew we'd take it destroyed, and he was fantastic. We knew he's an attacking threat. That's why we wanted him. He'd give us more um, more uh, dynamic. Uh, runs in the final third and uh, we're seeing that every week After the goal I think it was about 10 minutes and he cut in from the left shot a curler on his yeah. right uh, that Talbot made a brilliant save on Yeah Talbot makes a great save because Andy it's like the goal he scores against Chelsk um, on the edge of the box he calls and he's very good there but like I said he, I thought his all-round game was brilliant tonight he's against a really good player uh, on the right hand side and um, and he gave him nothing in the game. He was very, very good. I know we spoke on Monday about, about Jack Byrne, but again tonight he really seemed to be really yeah. on form. His, his set-piece delivery, but also his general play in an atmosphere like tonight. Yeah, he was brilliant. He completely settled the game, Jack. Um, he just takes the whole sting out of the game, the whole energy out of the game, and he plays the game at his pace, which is brilliant, because um, that's not easy to do in a, a Dublin derby in any game, but especially a Dublin derby. But Jack, that's that's his quality shining through. And we said it last week that he's getting back to his level, and, and tonight we've seen it again. He was he was brilliant at times. When you um, were two 0 up, that they got a goal back, that could have been a, a danger time for you to go up and score again after that. That must have been very pleasing. Yeah, it was because you, you the crowd get involved there, momentum. You don't know what's going to happen. And what, uh, our timing of that third goal was crucial because it just killed them. It just took the energy out of the ground. It took the energy out of them, and uh, it meant then we could just. Um, stay in our shape and be comfortable in our shape for the rest of the game. So our total, the timing of it was crucial. Okay, that is Shamrock Rovers manager Stephen Bradley speaking to you, Tony, and uh, touching on both Jack Byrne and Andy Lyons. Jack Byrne, maybe we might just start on him because you were chatting or you were talking about him just before we played the clip. But uh, Graham, just in regards to what Tony was saying there, in regards to uh, Jack Byrne and June and the Republic of Ireland, Stephen Kenny's squad, and obviously we're coming into a Nations League campaign. Um, what are his chances of possibly breaking back into the squad now? If he keeps going the way he's going, I, I, I agree with Tony. I, I think he, he should be in with a show. Reason being, and we've we seen that in the last game that Ireland played, where we were struggling to break a side down that sits in against them. And, and Jack... Jack always feels, and having spoke to him previously about this, he always feels it's his responsibility to be the one that is creative, and he's always going to take that chance. and And, and as he says, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot the shot, like you know, I'm gonna have a go at it. It's my job to be creative. That's why I'm in the team. Um, and and I feel when when we do play against teams that are sitting in and in low blocks, especially uh, obviously Troy Parra comes up with a wonderful finish, but. The likes of Jack is the one that will probe and try and create things and get and move teams around. And we've seen that the other night um, against both. We've actually seen it in the second half against Dundalk as well. On the Monday night, Tony was at that, where he was brilliant and he just manipulated the whole game, the way it suits him. He's dragging people, he's, he's calling people towards him, he gets little bounces off people and then he's, then he's looking for runners. He wants to suck it, send that back out towards him and then he's looking for runners. And he's always nine times out of ten, he generally finds that runner. So again, Ireland could use them, especially say going into the last half hour of games where you go, right, we have all the ball, we're, we're, we're 60, 70, 80% possession, go on and, and, and your risk reward is higher then with Jack and your team. Yeah, the other uh, player, obviously, who was also mentioned in the club clip that I wanted to talk about was Andy Lyons because that's four goals in his last five games now and obviously he's been bought as a defender from Bohemians and this was his first game back at Daly Mount Park to acquit yourself the way he did to play the occasion as you said Shamrock Rovers did is pretty remarkable but in terms of his movement and how he's brought that kind of goal edge uh, what has he done? Um, 
watching him even watching him in the home games but especially when he plays off the left hand side he'll, he'll play with the outside of his right he'll play with the outside of his right foot into a striker and then he follows it inside he's not willing to generally stay on the outside because he knows going on the outside he's probably not going on to his stronger side now he will do it when he has to when the space is there but his goal against Shells is that one he plays with the or he makes the run on the inside of Tell because Tell goes on the outside of him and he knows well I'm, I'm stronger coming in here his goal against up in Finn Hart, he's done the same outside of his right boot and then he follows it and makes that run on the inside. But he, he scores this one off a set piece. So, um, yeah, he, to, to be honest with you, he's probably took him a little, it took him a little while to settle because he's playing on the left-hand side and then they released him to the right-hand side in the game and he just took off. And then when they put him back out left, it was like his confidence was really high and he just took to the game then. But I, I agree with that that game never phased him. I don't think he even phased him when he was playing with Bowles because he scored a cracker last year cutting in on his left foot, I think, in the in the cup game. So he's a good he's a good history of scoring in that fixture. But he seems like a quite a level headed guy. And I, I met him when he was younger and he's gone through his education, another lad that stayed in the country and didn't go away. So it's great to see these lads coming through. And again, there's a calmness about Andy that you know, for such a young player, it belies his years. Will, yeah. will he continue to be used on the left, do you think? I mean, that that was a surprise to me originally when Stephen Bradley moved him over that side because it wasn't his natural side, you might say. I, do you know what? It's probably one of those that they played him there out of necessity at the time. And then now it's just one of those that he, you know he can do it. So when you're trying to keep players hungry in your squad and moving them around. And the likes of Ronan Finn is going to play in that fixture because of his experience and he's the captain. Um, and in other, in other games, he's, he's rested Ronan and he's put Andy back on the left. Kavanagh and Ferrugia have come back into the side as well. So he has a lot of options, but playing Andy off the left-hand side is one of them now that they know, well, we're, we have a we have an outlet and a threat on that side of the pitch. Yeah, and uh, that result for Shamrock Rovers pushes them, well, keeps them right in touch with Derry City. So one point between them. Derry City still top of the table and continuing their fine start to the season. And Graham, I suppose the, the nature of that 7-1 win, I mean, again, look, it's a, it's a huge victory over UCD and you can kind of go, yes, it's UCD. They're, they're struggling at the other end. But given that Derry City had lost a couple of games, or sorry, lost one and drawn one and dropped dro- dropped a couple of points, uh, it was vitally important for them to bounce back in the way that they did. Yeah, and I think there was a little bit of maybe anger in, in, in the performance as well, that they were a little bit maybe annoyed with the fact that they've, they've dropped points um, from positions that they wouldn't have expected to, they would have expected to get them uh, six points from. So it, it seemed like there was a ruthlessness came into them that they just put, put UCD to bed and put them to bed pretty quick, but didn't let off, didn't let them, didn't let them breathe in the game. So to go and score seven goals in any game in any league is fantastic. And like again, the twenty-seven point rovers are twenty-six. Then between Pats and Shells, there's there's eight points down. So everyone, the, the top two are in striking distance of each other. The rest of them aren't really. And I think it's probably just becoming a two-horse race now. I think Derry have started the season fantastic. I think they've been a little bit unlucky with injuries, especially uh, Duffy breaking his leg. And he lost Hark, and I think in the in the game against Rovers, which is a season long injury as well. So, I I think they'll be looking to recruit in the summer as well to make sure that they can have a run at Europe and try and challenge for the league as long as they can. I yeah. think in this one we have to consider UCD as well, though they they're they're better than the first division. They're not good enough for the Premier. 
and a lot of people talk about UCD and the fact that it's a nursery and so many great players have come through. Well, of course they have because they've been getting scholarships and they've been, you know, getting part of their education. But I just think 7-1 there. Uh, so some suggestion that UCD might be thinking about tomorrow. They're in the Collingwood Cup final against uh, Queen's University Belfast. That's going to be played at Oriel and that they kind of had one eye on that, which if there was any truth at all to that, it's a disgrace because... You know, this league is so tight, it could come down to goal difference. And UCD with an eye on a, on, on a university's competition in the Premier Division, in the Premier League, in, 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 in Ireland's main uh, national football competition. It's, it's dreadful. And uh, what can UCD do? Often in the summer, they lose players rather than... Yeah, the two lads yeah. look like they could go, Tony. I think yeah. Lincoln, there's talk of Lincoln looking at them. Yeah. I mean, you know, some, some great prospects, yes, but that's because they offered them the education that, that a university can provide. I mean, in my view, and it's always been a controversial one, uh, I think they should stick to, to competing in and trying to win Collingwood Cups. You know, otherwise, why can't other universities around the country uh, put resources in and, and, and enter their teams into the National League? Um, I'd much prefer to have a Cork, I, I would say this, wouldn't I, a Cork or a Galway in, in the league than a UCD because, you know, no matter what we say about their, their football style uh, and their development, developing of players, um, going to Belfield, unless the away fans bring a, a lot of support, is pretty soulless as well. And it doesn't do the image of the league uh, any good, in my opinion. Haven't, haven't UCD um, brought some good value, at pre not this season necessarily on the pitch, but in previous seasons, though, they have generally sometimes survived, stayed up for a couple of seasons and then maybe gone down and still given that platform to certain players who've gone on to push on. Um, but 7-1 is, is a disgrace. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a scoreline which could, as I say, skew the league table if it, if it does come down simply to goal difference come the end of the year. Yeah, it's changed who can play for them as well, though, Raf. But when like UCD were always in the league when I played against them, but they had a lot more experienced players. You didn't have to be on a scholarship to play for them, and I think that's changed now. Where they're a lot younger, they don't have like I think who was it, Tony Mc Tony McDonald would have played for them midfield. That the likes of Ali McNally, Connor Kenny, all these lads who were experienced players played for them, and they were able to see them through seasons, but. At the moment, everyone has to be affiliated to the college, as far as I know, and they all have to be on scholarships. And you're only going to ever, ever going to get young players. And, and I understand what Tony's saying, that it's a great platform for them. But ultimately, going into a, into a tough league where there's men and people coming in for, for loads of different reasons to play in the league, it, it probably isn't suited to the, to the highest level at, in this country at the minute. And Tony, a quick word on Rory Higgins, because uh, he's obviously remained completely level-headed whatever way the results have gone so far this season. Obviously, mostly good, but you could almost predict what he was going to, what he would say post-match, win, lose or draw. So we didn't bring any audio here because generally he plays everything down, uh, doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. And it's just the perfect situation for Derry City to have a manager like him in charge. Yeah, well, I, would, I wouldn't say he's entirely level-headed. I know he was like very upset at the, the, the Shelburne result, and, and that, that is the most surprising result, perhaps, of the, the season so far. And, you know, while they've had some marvellous results this year, they've, they've been inconsistent, you know? I mean, they've, they've been drawing games that you'd have expected them to win. And as I say, that, that loss to Shelburne is their only defeat of the season so far. Uh, this weekend coming up, I think, is going to be very interesting because uh, Derry have to travel to Pat, so that's uh, first against third. And we've got second against fourth as, as, as Rovers go to Rovers. Uh, Shamrock Rovers going to, to Sligo. So 
uh, you know, by the end of next week, we could we could see a different, slightly different complexion on the table, and it, it's it's a test definitely for the top three. Yeah, because the way the table looks now, so you have Derry City and Shamrock Rovers twenty seven and twenty six, and then a bit of a gap down to St Pat's on twenty, and then right in between there, you've got it's basically six uh, six teams there, kind of not separated by a huge amount from Pat's all the way down to Shelburne and a few results here and there could uh, completely flip that over. Let's take St. Pat's at the top of that train um, or the first carriage in that train, um, so to speak, um, uh, Tony, in regards to what are they this season? Are they going to be necessarily going to be pushing on and joining the top two or do you just see them remaining best of the rest, essentially? I think that's probably their, you know, they, they would hope again for, mm. for Europe and that'll be interesting to see how, how the summer pans out for them. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're the cup holders as well, of course, and that means it means a hell of a lot. But uh, nonetheless, um, I, I think the inconsistency there, they'll be, you know, the, you know it's, 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 a new, it's a new gig for, for Tim Clancy. Uh, he's coming to terms with it. Um, and I think they've done OK, but there is a golfing class. Let's see, as I say, how they do against Derry on, on, on Friday uh, in a home fixture and see if they can if they can build on that. And Graham, at the other end of that carriage of teams that are not top two or bottom two at the moment, uh, it's Shelburne and uh, they lost to Dundalk, but also a tempestuous game where Damien Duff uh, ended up getting sent to the stands and uh, one player sent off from each side. For Shelburne, like we've, I think we've talked about, I've talked about them a fair bit on this podcast yeah. uh, in terms of their form. Their away form is pretty good, but they can't seem to find uh, any solace at home. Now, this time the game was away at Dundalk and it was a great header to win it. But uh, where are they at right now? It's probably suited to them playing away from home because they can be a bit more compact. Uh, they can play. <laughs> Excuse me. Apologies there. You can cut that out, Raf. Um I'm yeah, sorry. With the cough as well, so don't worry. Yeah, um, where do you, you, like I said to you that the home farm is struggling. They, they can go away from home and be and be solid and be hard to beat and look to nick teams and maybe frustrate teams. Um, I said at the start of the year when we were doing this and where where we seen teams, I I I thought they'd be in around mid table, just below it. Um, I thought they'd be competitive, which they have been. I think they've thirty four yellow cards this season more than any other team. Um, and and Damien was always going to have them to be competitive, that nobody was going to maybe um, intimidate them or bully them going up into this division. And they've come out like that. Um, and like you said, they try and play at times and then they can be direct and go into bite at times and like to mix the game up. Sometimes you wonder where the goals are going to constantly come from. I know Farrell has started to score as well. Um, and, and if they can keep, if they can, Maybe keep a few more clean sheets and nick games. That 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 would be where they're at. But anytime they've they've had a bad result or, or or a couple of bad results, they tend to bounce back really really well. So you can tell that Damien obviously reacts to things and and analyzes and makes sure that they're always competitive for the next game coming out. I think Damien was very uh, emotional in his post match interview and. I, and I, I welcome that. I think it's it's marvelous to see the passion. I, and I, you know, Damien Duff is good for this league. He's been great for this country as a, as a player, uh, as a pundit, and now as a as a manager. And you know, why people are saying he's he's going to walk away? He's passionate. You can see he brings that to the gig. He brings that uh, to the club. And I think they're going to respond to him. And I think yeah, he's he's finding it tough. But look, 
he was um, at the very beginning. He was like, you know, hoping that they might, you know, maybe be even contenders. But the reality of, of it was, and he knew that too, that if they can stay in the league in in the the, the, the league this year, um, they'll have done okay for themselves. It's a learning process for all of them. He's got a, a nice group of of young players. Uh, unfortunately, they have to sort out the defence. Yeah, there's a there's an issue there, and then I think they need a striker now. Whether they can plunge into the market. I mean, the fact is all the uh, the gates for all the clubs have been up this year. It's fantastic. Uh, so it makes every Talca Park game uh, uh, an experience as well and, and a challenge for younger players. Um, but it's a challenge, I think, that they can rise to. And I love his passion and I love his honesty and his commitment. And I, and I, I think we're lucky to have him in the league. Yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I don't get this where like I understand the Ireland stuff and then he, well, he leaves Celtic he didn't leave Celtic halfway through the season he left them at the end of the year um, the lad who had brought me and Brendan Rogers had left as well so he probably felt right I can move back to Ireland but he's fully committed to to Shells you hear them afterwards he's saying that's the only team he's ever going to manage in the league so he's fully committed to them I can't see him now I, I have a pure stubbornness I can't see him up and walking away and, and proving everybody right or proving the people right that think he will walk away. I think he will. I think he'll stay and he'll try and make them as successful as he can while he's there. I think we have to ask a question about um, refereeing standards as well. He's not allowed to criticise referees or w- without getting a fine. Maybe maybe we can. Um, you know, as ever, and Garth, I'm sure, will, will, will back me up on this. People want consistency. You know, and you want from one game to the next for the referees to act the same. Um, and if, you know, they're going to uh, penalise back chat or whatever, that doesn't happen in every game. Uh, if they're going to let so many things go in one game and not another. Uh, if, as we were saying earlier, it's very unlikely that you get a yellow or a red card in the opening moments, the opening skirmishes of a game. Um, but if you're going to get it for something that in the very next match with a different referee, you're not going to get a yellow card for, that's absolutely infuriating for players and managers alike. Um, so I think Damien coming to grips with uh, inconsistency in refereeing standards is, is something that every other manager in this league has had to suffer for a while. Yeah, it's just his turn now to, to kind of discover it. Um, the final game of the weekend, we're going to talk about Sligo Rovers, three Drada United two. So David Colley with a couple of early goals for Sligo and then the match devolved into something a lot tighter before Gary Buckley scored a late winner. So we'll just listen to Liam Buckley who was speaking to Oshin Langan of LOI TV uh, about the results, but more so in this clip, it's about how he's managed his squad and with also with an eye to Europe and how he's going to uh, face that challenge. So let's listen to him now. Months. Do you want to see more of your players taking opposition players on, trying to beat their men? There was times during the game today, yes, you did create chances, but there was also times where guys passed backwards and maybe they could have taken players on. I look at this and we, out, we encourage them to try and get it forward as best we can. Uh, that said, we want to keep the possession of the ball, which is critical, especially playing in Europe. If you don't keep the ball, you're not going to win matches. You're not going to win. So we just need to get that better as we're going along here. Uh, now, as, uh, we've juggled the team around in recent weeks, you know, trying to find what are our best balance, what positions are is best for some of the guys. Um, we're finally getting a, a bit of a fear for them all. And there's, there's, as I say, there's a good group now that we can change, make changes from a fatigue point of view. If you have three matches in a week or whatever, you can juggle that around. And um, look, listen, it's a really good win tonight. I'm pleased God we can improve on it. I guess April was the month to do that. I know it's not over yet. You've a lot of games played this month and a few to come. Then they become a bit more sparse. Did you have to chop and change to see what was your best 11 was, who suited what, or what way do you look at that? As a manager, well, you see, we've got quite a few new lads in. You know, even if you look at the Knights team, um, 
between Will Fitzgerald, uh, Carlos Sullivan played, um, Aidan Keane played, um, uh, Rob Paddy Kirk played, like every week just probably four or five, six new players in our team from last season, you know, the kind of way. So we're just bedding them all in. Now, in fairness to them, they're all working extremely hard. We've signed everybody we've signed, I do feel it's going to make an impact. They can all play. I'm happy enough to play any of them. So we do want competition for places as well as we go along here because, uh, we want to be competing, you know, and it's the only way we're going to compete is everybody be at their best. But collectively, it's just how we pass that and how we play together. I just, that's the improvement that what I want to say in the group. Right. That is Sligo. Rovers manager Liam Buckley uh, speaking to Oshin Langan of LOI TV after the 3-2 win over Drada United. A uh, lot more dramatic than it actually looked after the first few minutes of the game uh, when they had been leading 2-0. Um, uh, Graham, in regards to his use of the squad and that's like a Rovers squad and where they're at because they're they're fourth in the table and considering the amount of change, it's kind of similar to what we were talking about with Bowes a little bit earlier on. A much changed squad and they made a really good start to the season, and now you know they've, they've they hit a bit of a roadblock a few weeks ago, but they seem to have kind of leveled back off again. It's uh, it's a pretty positive start to the season for them overall when you can when you factor in all the changes and everything. Yeah, they probably lost two of their main men, Kenny and Man, and obviously young Kenny goes to Celtic, Matt goes to St Johnson, um, but they brought in the two Australian lads, uh, Max Matta up front, and I I think he's been a really good find. And uh, Pinnaker at the back, who's a left-footed centre-back, who I was really impressed with in Tallis Stadium. I thought he'd done really well. They've got McGint. I like the goalkeeper, McGinty, too. Um, he needs to get, like you said, he probably needs to get games into players. I'm, I'm not... I, I probably sound a little bit probably um, old-school here in terms of... I know a lot of people are going out as... For, out as two games in four days and the Friday and the Monday. And, and to be honest with you, most of the teams are full-time. It's the, it's the teams that are part-time that probably would struggle with that. But again, it was done over a bank holiday weekend where most people would be off in the mornings and, be, and have that weekend off that you get the training in. So I understand that people are saying our players might be tired, but if the players have ambitions to even go and try play in the championship in the UK, they play Saturday, Tuesday and travel a lot. This This league isn't that difficult in terms of travel. I know Tony was talking about how quick he got to Cork <laughs> from, from Daily Mount, but we were uh, on the train. And um, <laughs> so in that sense, it, it's not that difficult. But and that's where I think if, if you're if if you're part of them squads and you're playing Friday and you do really well in the game, you think I want to play again Monday, I want to keep this going, I want to keep my form going, I want to keep the awareness high and, and my attitude and my eye all at a high level. So I understand what he's saying about getting lads into the into his team to get them to understand the league because they haven't been in it, especially with the two lads coming in from New Zealand. So, um, but I think the I I think Sligo are similar to what we said about Pats. They'll they'll, they'll push, but we're out. They push to be in the top four, but we're out actually putting up maybe a challenge to the to the top two. Podcast yeah. uh, made a little bit of the headlines certainly uh, last week with Pat Dolan in his column in the Star. Uh, gave out about the fact that um, I think Conan uh, said it's sometimes difficult to attract players to Sligo. Um, but as uh, you're just pointing out there, Liam Buckley manages to unearth some gems. And the yeah. winner scored by Gary Buckley, who was a bit of a legend on side for Cork City, but um, has, I think, reinvented himself in Sligo. And, and that winner there and the way they celebrated it, um, it just shows there's a lot of passion uh, in Sligo. And it's a, it's a terrific football town. 
And I think Liam Buckley will be working out a way um, to, to match Shamrock Rovers. He's done it before. Uh, he'll spend all the week now just figuring a way. Uh, he might not say there's a... He, he, he probably would say there's a golf in class, but he'll be working out a way uh, to, to, to bridge that gap and uh, get a result as they've done before uh, against Shamrock Rovers. So I, I do think that next Friday's live TV game is going to be really interesting. Yeah, live visit Tony. Live yeah. a live game, huh? Yeah, li- live on RT2 and RT player. And, uh, lads, t- Tony stealing my thunder there by doing all the plugs for me. But that's that's <laughs> fair play, um, RT. Fair yeah, play. Yeah, so we're um moving straight on to the first division, which should actually be one uh, something that Tony will be able this to is Cork, Tony can do the first division because it's <laughs> Cork and Cove, you know. Yeah, so results before we uh, before we get to that. Wexford nil, Waterford two. So Waterford bouncing back, and uh, this is the first match um, since parting ways with Ian Morris. Uh, Galway United two, Bray Wanderers nil. So Galway still flying high, just behind Cork City. And then in the Cork Derby, Cove Ramblers lost three two at home to Cork City. And then Longford Town nil, Treaty United nil on the Saturday. Tony, um, this will be your uh, specialist subject for today. So Cork City continuing <laughs> to fly at the top. Um, Obviously, look, we've talked about them a fair bit on the podcast over the last few weeks, but um, we were chatting to Neil Horgan, um, I think it was about four or five weeks ago now, just about where they were at. He was very impressed, but he just said the only uh, kind of fly in the ointment in the long term was this situation with Grovemore. Has there been any update at all with that over the last wee while? Not that I'm aware of, just, you know, the sound of silence. And it, it does leave people kind of wondering, where do we go from here? How can we how can we plan to go forward? Because once again, what's brilliant to see, even though it's the first division, um, the crowds are back at Turner's Cross, or in this case, uh, from last Friday, at Coleman's Park. I think a huge Cork City crowd went down to Cove. Um, great place to go anyway. I think there was 4,500 people. Any um, photos I saw from, from that game as well, there seemed to be a lot of flares at that match as well. So it's not just at the Dublin Derby. Uh, the Cork Derby, Cork and Cove. And Cove, to give them great credit, uh, came back into that game. Um, so for Cork to escape from there with all three points um, and maybe not playing as well as they might or as well as they, they'd like, I think that's a good sign of a team. But in fairness to Galway, they're really keeping up the, up the pressure on them. And, and that's a fascinating race. Uh, John Caulfield against uh, John Caulfield's Galway is like Damien Duff Shelburne. You have to say it's John Caulfield. It's, it's the hallmarks of a, a John Caulfield team as well, Galway. Uh, you know, doggedly determined and, and they're working hard and they're getting results. Uh, and those two, uh, there's certainly a gap between, uh, I think, uh, Longford in third place uh, are, is it five points behind uh, Galway and um, eight points behind Cork. So there is a, there is a gap there. Um, but the two of those are, are certainly fighting it out for the automatic spot. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and at the start of the season, Graham, I mean, Waterford would have been tipped to be in that race, if not slightly ahead of the um, ahead of Cork and Galway. But then, obviously, things have changed now. Now they did win at the weekend, but were you surprised that they? Not even so much surprised, um, given I suppose what happened at the end of last season with Mark Bircham and the timing of that that sacking and just how many managerial changes they've had down there. But in terms of Waterford, that it maybe was a little bit hasty. Um, yes, they're a fair bit behind, but there's still time in the season to try and close that gap and uh, put themselves back and right back into the proper promotion race. Yeah, like you said, I think it's 
we, we had spoke about Waterford at the start of the season, saying they were probably favourites for it. And when they brought in Ian Morris, they had a steady hand. You knew the division. He'd, he'd won promotion out of it. Uh, he'd won the league twice coming out of it with Shells. So you thought they've gone for something a little bit more steady and they might have maybe realised that all the chaos that involves them needs to just settle down a little bit and give that team a better, a, the best chance of being successful. Um, I, I was somebody who I knew was watching them in pre-season and said they looked really good and they, I know they started the first game of the season really well as well, but they probably just dipped off and the, the points difference between them and Cork is probably too high and that's why they've made the decision that they need to do something now to, to maybe try and stay in a race but it's still a li- it's still so hasty from them to just sack a manager that quick. But it's not something that surprises us. But Waterford, that we just think I just think they're they're going home in terms of their ownership, and 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 if something's not right or if something upsets them, they, they never really take a breath on it. They just tend to just pull the trigger on things really quick. Yeah, Sometimes. that can work though. Isn't that a fair thing to say? I mean, it's yeah, something like, like Sean Deutsch. Look at Sean Deutsch. Like, he, oh, Burnley have given themselves a chance now. They, they, they got rid of their manager after 10 years. They, they, they've been patient with him, and then it gives them a chance. But it seems to me it's like the Waterford players are waiting for it all the time that they perform for the six months that a new manager comes in, and then they're like, right, this has gone stale. And instead of looking at themselves, they go, right, we'll, we'll get a new manager in and we'll have a jump again. You can't keep doing that, you know. Can't be. There's plenty of time, though. That's the only thing. There's plenty of time in the season yet. And what I refer back to an earlier point, if, if let's say, a, a Waterford might come up against a, a UCD in a promotion-relegation playoff uh, towards the end of the season, who'd your money be on then? Yeah. UCD beat them last year in the, in the playoff, Tony, because, like you said, Waterford shoot themselves in the foot. They, they, they sacked the manager in the build-up to the game. Like why, why, why not just swallow whatever you need to swallow for them two games? Stay up and then go right, Bertram. Because that's to me, they're not thinking of the club force. They're thinking of their own personal pride ahead of your club, and I don't think that should ever be the case in football. Yeah, and one on the another managerial situation at Lone Town. So Martin Russell uh, was well, they parted ways with him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and now Carl Shepherd is among the player or among the uh, people who've been linked uh, with that job. Tony, uh, again, they've had a number of managerial changes over the last uh, over the last couple of years. So stability is what they're looking for now. And we really would love to see a, a strong athlone in the league. You know, I think they've got a great facility down there um, and they've you know, got a potential um, area for, you know, that traditionally and historically athlone have uh, always had a, a great League of Ireland tradition. Um, for Carol Shepherd, it would be a, a big step up. It would be an interesting way because it's hard to get a, a gig in, in management. And, um, you know, if you're an on a hiding to nothing in this regard, really, athlone looks like they're in dire, dire straits. Uh, so maybe it's a chance for someone to come in and, and yeah learn the ropes and feel their way into the management game. Yeah, and probably not the most pressurised job right now, just given where that low and are either. So maybe maybe not the worst place to go in straight away and kind of learn the ropes, Tony. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but not the most pressurised job in the world. I mean, you see, where do you go when you're bottom of the first division? You know what I mean? That is that is the reality of it. So I mean, in in an ideal world as well, there should be more of a pyramid, and you should be having uh, clubs from other leagues maybe being in a position to be uh, promoted into um, senior ranks. Uh, and that hasn't happened yet, but maybe that's something we'll see further down the road. 
Yeah, most definitely. Anyway, there has been talk of that third tier, which I think is uh, supposed it was fairly imminent should be next year. But um, <laughs> in the women's national league, which is going to have a second tier in from twenty twenty five onwards. But uh, this weekend, some huge results that we'll talk about here. So Wexford two, Sligo Rovers nil, Bohemians nil, Galway three, Treaty United nil, Athlone two, P Mount eight, Cork City one, and then a huge result there. DLR Waves one, Shelburne nil. We're just going to listen to Chloe Mustaki of Shelburne, obviously Republic of Ireland international recently. Um, she was part of the Shelburne team that lost at DLR Waves, and here's what she had to say afterwards. Uh, extremely disappointed, to be honest with you. Uh, I think if we, even if we'd gotten a point out of the game, we probably would have been happy enough um, with that. Obviously, coming here, we would have expected to get the three points. To be fair to DLR, they made it difficult for us, but like given the squad we have, we should be putting away teams like that. I mean, we dominated most of the game and we need more composure in front of goal. And if we can't if we can win games like that, then we're gonna to struggle to, to win the league. So yeah, it's very disappointing, but we gotta look ahead to Wexford now. We've you know a big big game in three days, so we just put that behind us now and move on. You maybe were a bit over anxious in the second half to score and players getting in each other's way. Yeah, I think that's always the way. You're chasing the game 1-0, 2-0 down or whatever it may be, but you need you need more composure. I mean, we have great players on our team and we need to be able to stand up and be counted um, when it matters. And unfortunately, I don't think that was the case today. Okay, that is Chloe Mustaki of Shelburne speaking after the 1-0 defeat at DLR Waves. And with the context of a huge game, which is rescheduled from earlier in the season between Wexford and Shelburne on Tuesday, um, and the way P-Mount have started the campaign, Tony, uh, it really puts the, Shelburne just suddenly find themselves under pressure in a way that maybe they weren't uh, prior to kickoff. Yeah, because they have that uh, that Wexford game and then on Saturday week, they play P-Mount at home. So, I mean, this is actually an absolutely crucial uh, couple of weeks uh, period in the season for them. Um, I only saw I saw Shelburne once this year uh, against Bohemians. I must say I was impressed with Bohemians. I was expecting as the champions that Shelburne would kind of run over them. But um, yeah, it's not it's not that easy to retain your title. It's hard enough to win it, but uh, it's going to be a good race this year. That's for sure. Yeah, especially with uh, the way P-Mount have started. I mean, yes, there was the, the issue with the ineligible player um, or from earlier in the season when they beat Sligo Rovers 6-0 and then subsequently that was chalked off, turned into a 3-0 win for Sligo. Uh, but even if you take that aside, P-Mount, the amount of goals they're scoring and, I mean, Anya Gorman, I think, scored five there at the weekend. You know, they're, they've started like a train and they're going to be hard stopped. I know, but a bit like um, Derry and UCD, I hate to see scorelines like that. I just hate to see it because you want your leagues to be competitive and you want uh, you know each match to have uh, something going on it. Uh, take a hat off to Piedmont, though. Yeah, on your Gorman, she's ageless. She's brilliant. Um, Stephanie Roach scoring for fun as well. Uh, certainly, that end of the pitch, they know they know what to do. Um, so that's why I'm I'm particularly looking forward to Shelburne and Piedmont on Saturday week. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, just before we go, there's a uh, matters uh, cross channel, and also over in the uh, over in Europe, of course, as well as Champions League week, we have Man City versus Real Madrid on RT two. And uh, given that uh, City and also uh, Liverpool, you are playing via Real the following day as well, and both nip and tuck in the title race at the moment, both winning winning at the weekend. Uh, like in terms of how these midweek games might have an effect on the Premier League title race, Graham. Do you see any impact whatsoever? I mean, arguably you could say City have the harder tie and that they're playing Real Madrid who, you know, keep rolling with the punches, even with the kind of veteran players that they have. Um, and maybe also the fact that City, 
Europe is a bit more of an obsession for them now, whereas Liverpool, this Liverpool squad had crossed that line before. And maybe for them, it you know, they're thinking about a quadruple, maybe, even if it's a, something they're playing down. Yeah, to be honest, Raf, you make very good points there. Like Man City are probably trying to cement their the sort of superiority over the last five years by winning the European Cup or a Champions League. And and I feel if the and that's probably their holy grail at the minute in terms of to 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 really be thought of as a, as a fantastic team, um, you have to maybe be the champions of Europe. And like you said, Liverpool have that. The relentlessness from both sides is unbelievable. It's it really is. There's a hunger about them. I'm watching the Liverpool game yesterday, and and does they come out in the second half with this ferocity to try and win the game, and then I'm watching uh, Man City v. Watford at the weekend and and it's the same. It's like they just keep going and they know that either team can, can't afford any type of slip-up and then the tension just... The tension doesn't get to them. It's like it drives them on that there's this hunger in them to make sure that they, they, they get over the line. They're, in terms of like what they have coming, obviously, I, I was worried about the Everton game. Um, Spores away... Uh, Spores at home is a tough game for, for Liverpool. I think Leeds away is a tough game for um, for Manchester City and West Ham away. And you're hoping then that West Ham are still still in the fight to try and get into the top four and that there's something to play for from a Liverpool point of view. But you can't see anywhere that they're going to drop points yet in the league just because of how well they're playing. The European games become different because you can never write Real Madrid off in the European competition. For some reason, they just have this ability to go through the gears. The, the worrying thing for me was, from a Real Madrid point of view, Man City dismantled them a couple of seasons ago um, in the Champions League and done a right job on them over the two games. And I don't know if, Man, if Real Madrid are able to stay with Man City over two legs. That be so, but I think Liverpool should be Villarreal. But it, they said that about Bayern as well, and and they didn't. So. Villarreal aren't there our look that they're on merit and it's up and Liverpool have to obviously perform over the two legs to make sure they beat them too yeah and one final point which has nothing to do with City or Liverpool but one of their principal rivals on paper which is uh, Manchester United so last week Eric Ten Hag being confirmed as manager a lot has been said about his appointment so I'll keep this very brief Graham it's more in regard to you know the challenge that he has in terms of squad building now recruitment is one thing but is does he have the sort of benefit at least when he's coming in there's so many players out of contract that it actually just makes his job that little bit easier and maybe can focus more on who he can bring in. And there, most of the players out of contract, I don't think, would be in his plans anyway. Yeah, it does. Because obviously, if you tell a player that he's not a wanted and then he has to stay around, um, you know, it can create a bad atmosphere in your dressing room and in your club. So in, in terms of moving people on, it, it is a big help. But he does need to move people on. I think the, I think the club has become stale. Um, I think players are there are happy to be there, but not happy to put in the work to stay there. Um, so he does need a, a bit of a clear though. I think he needs to recruit really well, both on the pitch and with his staff. I think they need to have a, a complete restructuring of the club in terms of making sure that if Ten Hag ever leaves again, that, the, that someone else can come in and just take up the reins. And that hasn't been done at, at Manchester United in a long, long time. Um, you could imagine if if, Man's, if Pep Guardiola left Man City or, or 
or Klopp left Liverpool, you'd imagine they'd be handing it to the next person that would be through the gate in terms of worked with the staff that will carry on the work that they've done because, like you said, successfully crumbs. And if they've nothing to follow there, um, he has to reinvent everything. Not reinvent everything, sorry. He has to redo and put in structures there that last for the club to be successful going forward. It'd be interesting to see Rangnick's uh, future now because is he going to be the man to stay upstairs and uh, how does Eric Ten Hag feel about that? Uh, because by Ragnick coming in and managing the team, he's he's probably managed to make enemies among the squad as well. I mean, you know, he's been very blunt about how he feels about uh, a lot of the players. But you know, the likes of, you know, a, a Jesse Lingard being out of the club and then coming back in and playing an important role, or Matic already saying that he was leaving the club and still being expected to play a proper role. Uh, if Ragnick was there for the long haul, why wasn't he playing some of the, the, the kids in, in these games? Um, it seems odd to me. And I wonder, has he blotted his copybook? Uh, that he, is he the one to, to stay on and, and move upstairs and provide that, that link? I, I like that phrase, Graham, that the success has, uh, leaves crumbs. Uh, but f- f- what scraps there are in the Manchester United uh, table these days, you know, they won't make a meal of, for, for a lot of people. There are fixtures this weekend uh, to go through. So St. Patrick's Athletic playing Derry City on Friday. Sligo Rovers against Shamrock Rovers live in RT2 and the RT player. That's live or at 7.30 um, and then 7.45 kickoff. And then Dundalk against Drada, so the Louth Derby once again. And then Bohemians versus UCD and Finn Harps versus Shelburne. So a lot of interesting games in the Premier Division. In the first division, we have Treaty United against Galway United, Bray Wanderers against Cove Ramblers, Athlone Town against Wexford, Cork City against Longford Town. And in the Women's National League, as you said, on Tuesday, Wexford plays Shelburne in a blockbuster game. And then there is a Munster derby between Treaty and Cork City. And then finally, at the weekend, P-Mount against Bowes, Shelburne against Treaty, DLR Waves against Cork City, Galway against Wexford. Athlone Town against Sligo Rovers. So that brings us to an end. Uh, Graham and Tony, thanks a million for take, taking the time. I hope you enjoy the rest of this Monday where the sun seems to have disappeared, unfortunately. So I've kind of ruined uh, ruined what was probably the best part of your day uh, by keeping you indoors. But anyway, best of luck and uh, take care. It was great fun. Thanks, thanks a million, guys. Cheers. Cheers.